Hey, Michael. How the hell are you? Excellent. How are you doing, brother? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Um, I, I got to say, this is this is awesome to talk to you because I was always one of those like huge Blood Circus fans, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. yeah, and to me, it seemed, especially at the time, that there were you know tens of thousands of us like you know all over. But um, you know, every time I talk to somebody from from Sub Pop or whatnot, they're like, "Oh, it's a." worst selling album of all time like blah, you know whatever and it was like but people filled the shows man and, and they liked it you know well, that's that's kind of a misnomer because uh we we were the worst selling band that they thought was going to sell a ton of records so <laughs> right when it boils down to it we were in the upper mid range but uh you know the sub pop thing was was awesome fun and and uh, i enjoyed being on their label Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was great. So, was was Blood Circus your first band, or or was it? Because you guys were a little bit older. I mean, just just yeah. slightly, you know, than the other bands. Well, I I come from Denver, and I was in bands in Denver long before uh, I got to Seattle. Uh, re recording bands, my band Blood Circus or Dog Meat recorded. Uh, uh, some music that was real fun, pretty groundbreaking for for the time. Uh, and the music scene in Denver has always been uh, strong. Right. Well, I, I kind of see Denver as is a weird sister city to Seattle. Right. I mean, it, it's different yeah. in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of similarities too. You know, well, so. a lot of crossovers, a lot of bands from Denver go back and forth to Seattle. I mean, the derelicts are mostly a Denver band and the fluid uh, are a Denver band, but we're associated with uh, Seattle a lot. I, I like to call the fluid, the best band from Seattle. That's not from Seattle. Right. <laughs> I mean, I love them to death, you know, like I, I, yeah. I wish they had gone way further than they did. And they should have. Yeah, no, absolutely. But again, they they kind of had to a certain extent the, the same sort of um sensibilities that blood circus had right it was very heavy but without the the kind of homage to to black sabbath right i mean it was just it was heavy 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 music right well the, the fluid the, they're they're my great buddies we grew up uh together and definitely we all played a bunch of bands together i was in uh, white trash for a while with half the guys from the fluid long before the fluid was around and we, we were all good buddies so we were playing the same types of music for for a long time so you know there's a lot of crossover for denver and and seattle absolutely so did you guys migrate to seattle together from denver or was it kind of a gradual thing no i came uh linda dershing who owns uh uh, all the bars in Seattle is my ex-wife, and she owned oh. a clothing store called Basic. So we moved from Denver to Seattle so she could open the store and so I could uh, play music up up there. Wow. Okay. Well, that that's a tie-in I didn't know existed. Um, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. Well, I mean, you know, I, I have two ex-wives, so I'm I'm right there with you. You know, I, I don't talk about them either. Um, but but I have to ask one question before we move on. Did you move here? Did you meet her before or after you moved here? Like, was that an impetus or? No, me and Linda were, uh, uh, I actually was friends with her brother. We were uh, sports team players in the, the same leagues and stuff, and we were friends. And I met her later on during the punk rock days when she owned uh, Fashion Disaster here wow. in Denver. So I have to ask, what sports? Uh, hockey. Oh, hockey. Huh. Yeah. Hockey, wow. I played football, but I wasn't big enough. But I was pretty competitive at hockey. Right. I mean, for first of all, for, for those who don't know, um, like who Blood Circus was, they were, you were the f first band? signed on first or second, like you were right right at the very beginning of, of the bands that were signed yeah on. we were we were at the beginning 
our our first single came out, uh, Sub Pop 13, and most of the bands before that were bands that um, that uh, let's see, Bruce had worked with uh, via Olympia. So we were oh, we right, were definitely right. one of the first ones. I wouldn't say we were the first though. Um, no. maybe, maybe it was the first full length or something like that. There is a first you have somewhere and, and <laughs> I'm, I, I'm missing what it is right now. Yeah. Um, so you'd been in a bunch of bands in Denver. Um, you met somebody, you ended up migrating to Seattle. Um, what yeah. did you think of Seattle when you first got here? Like when you were checking out like the music scene? We came out on vacation to, uh, to visit to see if it would be a good place for Linda to open her clothing store. And we had, had a great time. We uh, went in the springtime and we just lucked out and had beautiful weather and didn't realize that it rained all the time. So we were hooked as soon as we, as soon as we got there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she did real well in, in the clothing business and, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot too. Made a lot of money as a chef and uh as a carpenter so it, it's it's always been a fruitful place for me right so i have to ask this question now like where, where did you where, where were you a chef like where, where did you cook in seattle uh in seattle uh i worked at cafe sport mm-hmm. uh, i was executive chef at testarosa on broadway nice uh, I was the the culinary director at Moe's Moroccan Cafe. Wow! And lots of places. <laughs> no, that, that that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I, I'm asking because there, there's a very small community of of you know both music and 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 you know restaurant workers in in Seattle, right? And the overlap is huge. So just I was curious to see yeah. what what sort of uh, overlap. And, and it was then too. Uh, yeah. lots of people in those days and it was good for for being able to go on tours you know you could uh, in the restaurant business was pretty fluid so you could tell them I'm going to be gone for a week and they wouldn't get all bent out of shape right so yeah it that worked out great I, I liked it yeah I, I'm I'm not saying you did this but I'm reminded of of a friend of mine who worked at at Michelli's in, in the early 80s yeah 384 something <laughs> like that and he would tell these stories of walking in because he always worked the graveyard shift, right? So he'd walk in and there'd be a lineup of everyone who worked that night waiting to get like the, you know, whatever their drug of choice was, you know, like whether yeah. it was methadone or whatever. Like literally everyone lining up being like, fuck, we've got eight hours to drink with or drink, deal with a bunch of drunken assholes, right? Yeah. And so yeah. we're going to get, you know, take our drug of choice. You know, to just deal with it, <laughs> right? Yeah. You oh, know, and Michelli's was kind of a magical place. <laughs> Cocaine was all over the restaurant business. Oh hell yeah! Right, right. Yeah, and lots of <laughs> all the good old days. <laughs> you know, and actually, it, it's it's funny. Um, I don't want to you know dive into the drug scene too much, but I spent a lot of time out and about in Seattle, and I personally and i i realize i'm an anomaly didn't see a huge amount of heroin i saw a bunch of blow a bunch of meth a bunch of you know designer drugs um i knew people who did the heroin stuff you know right. and opiates of whatever kind but right. it, it i didn't see it like in front of me right i just i just knew it was there but it wasn't you know whatever and and when i talked to some other people i know they're like are you fucking stupid? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, people were nodding off all over the place and I just, I didn't fucking know. Right. I didn't even notice well, it. That community keeps to itself pretty much. Uh, they don't, they're not flamboyant about spreading around. And we all knew that, uh, that those guys were doing dope, but uh, uh, I personally wasn't involved in that at all. I, I had dabbled in dope, but that was long before I got to Seattle. Yeah. I, I personally don't like it. I don't like the feeling of it. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a very good friend of mine said, 
And it's funny, I always get some quote from him on every single podcast I do, but <laughs> is, yeah, the one time I did heroin, my body felt tiny, my head felt huge, and I felt like I was going to fall down. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that's, that, that's, I don't understand why people want to feel that way. <laughs> you know, like it sounds horrible to me. A, a lot of people are, are crushing their, their egos and their, and the, bad feelings they have with it you know it's it's a way to become completely numb and not have to deal with your feelings or whatever it is that drew you to having to get so shit-faced right so but okay so here, here's a segue here um you obviously like your weed yes i do okay so for me I, i'm one of those people that the majority of drugs tend to f affect me about the same way, right? It, it literally doesn't matter if I do, you know, a bunch of blow or I smoke a bunch of weed or drink a bunch of booze. In the end, the effect is generally the same for me. All right. Really? Yeah. Um, that's until recently, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I've never gotten that like, oh, I need to feel a certain way. So I'm going to, you know, do some blow or I, I want to feel another way and I want to do some opiates or whatever. For me, it's all the same. And what I realized is it's because I used alcohol as the, the great continuator right. between everything. So it didn't really matter. Like, you yeah, know, if, you're drunk. Yeah, if you're super drunk and, and, you know, you do some heroin, yeah, you're going to feel it a little bit more, you know, and if you do blow, it's going to kind of take the edge off a little bit. But honestly, you end up kind of feeling the same way, you know, yeah. which is discombobulated. Yeah. You know, um, and it's only in the last year, I would say, that I've ever smoked cannabis without being drunk. And it, it's it's a great high, man. It's I mean, I like whole it. It's a different world, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. Um, other than getting hungry all the time. <laughs> Oh, you'll get over that. Right. So let me ask you a couple of questions because, like I said, I'm, 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 I'm still like a, a cannabis neophyte. Um, what? Oh, okay. So one thing that I've, I've noticed is that I forget which is which, but indica and sativa affect me the opposite way as they're supposed to affect. Right. So the, like one makes you sleepy and one doesn't. Right. They affect me the exact opposite. One is supposed opposite. to have a thicker, a thicker buzz than the other, but um, realistically, I don't know that it really makes that much difference. Uh, from my experience, and I have a lot of it, uh, I smoke both, and I get high off of both. I suppose the, the indicas are a little thicker, but the amount that I smoke, it, it really doesn't make any difference. Oh, that's interesting. So... I'm actually looking at a at a package that I have right now, and it's a oh, it's a blend. That's probably why. Mm. And the whole fact that you and I can sit here and talk about you know legally buying weed and having a package of it is is kind of amazing, right? Definitely. <laughs> I mean, did did you think? Because I certainly didn't. Did, did you think you would reach the day where you could be like, oh, I can go into a store and buy whatever I want? I had always hoped um, in the 70s when Jimmy Carter was president, it was looking like we might have uh, might be able to have such a thing. But uh, then the Reagan came and crushed everything. Right. But it's pretty it's pretty amazing. You know, I'm not really big on going to the dispensaries because the weed is usually pretty mid-level. But mm -hmm. uh, it's a really nice convenience when you're in, on vacation in Washington or Oregon and you, can, you don't have to take anything with you and risk a jail sentence. You can just True. go to the dispensary there, and I like that. So th the one thing that I found is, again, I, I you know, neophyte in terms of weed, like I, I would smoke it every once in a while or whatever, is finding the, um, the extracts right? The tinctures and whatnot. I really loved the shit right. out of those, you know? Yeah. They're my favorites too. Yeah. Um, 
and again, because I'm, I'm the way I am, I would, you know, I would get a, a like an orange tincture and I would use it in a vodka soda. Right. Yeah. And so I, I never, right. I never actually got the, the real effect of, of the weed I would, or the cannabis. It would be, um, you know, over the top of the, of the booze. Right. And anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I finally, you know, discovered what it's like to, to do it without the booze because it, it's a, a very clean, you know, sort of high, you know? Right. The tinctures, and I make a really good tincture that uh, is, I hardly smoke anymore at all. The tincture just works so well. I don't even think about really smoking that much. So I think it's a lot better for me. Uh, I have a bad pancreas, so I think it's better to get that the, the THC and the, the CBDs directly to my stomach uh, for health region, reasons. So I, I, I'm digging the tinctures myself. Yeah, I think they're great. Um, what, what about like pure CBD? Do you use any of that? No, I, I, I'm kind of of the same school as Rick Simpson who invented the uh, RSO oil that it needs to have a, at least a little bit of THC to make the CBD functional. I know a mm -hmm. lot of people swear by straight up CBD, but uh, uh, I think that a lot of that stuff is snake oil. So I don't, I don't know when the last time you've been in Seattle, um, but right now you can go to, to coffee stands. I live in Edmonds for fuck's sake, right? Which is about as, you know, white bread as you can possibly be. And the, the espresso stands around here have CBD add $5 a shot. So they're literally like, you know, pouring yeah. CBD into <laughs> their espresso. I'm not Anything. sure. I suppose there's some to it. Uh, and medical people say there are. So, yeah, who's to say you shouldn't? You know, uh, I don't, but uh, other people who do, I, I go for it. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's funny. I, I, I have a good friend of mine who does like he's like scientifically into you know all the various strains and and all that stuff and trying to get him on the show right. but as you can imagine he's he's very busy right now you know like <laughs> trying to, trying to get everyone there yeah. you know the right cannabinoids or whatnot um i i i personally i just i don't know like i all i know is one time um i was supposed to get like an 80 percent um, CBD, 20% THC mix, and they fucked it up and I ended up with an 80% THC and 20% CBD mix, and I had a really good time that night. <laughs> so this was a tincture that you're talking about? Yeah, it was a tincture. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, oh yeah, no, no, I want, I want like, you know, an 80-20 and they just got it backwards and yeah I, I i had a very 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 good night because like i said i just mixed it in my vodka soda right and it was like oh yeah orange right. drink it down and uh you know full on body high freak out you know for like three or four hours so yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not the best in that yeah so you're yeah, you originally... know, it happens. Yeah, no, fuck. Um, knock I've, on wood. I've had a few. Uh... Go ahead. I was going to say knock on woods. It, it hasn't happened for, for a few months with me, but those body highs can be brutal. Yeah, debilitating. Yeah. Though it, it won't kill you, but it feels like it's going to kill you. I've had space cakes in Holland. That oh, will God, put yeah. you on the couch, and you're just you're sure you're going to die. But uh, it, it, you know, a couple hours later, you come back, and everything's fine. No one's ever died from weed. Right. I, so it's funny you say that because I'm one of those people that that continually have the death trips. Right. Like I just mm. always the death trips, and yeah. I've just gotten used to them at this point. Um, yeah. So, you know, my my. 
last night I did the same thing. I was mixing, um, you know, some smoking with some edibles with a joint I had rolled, right? So it was like, you know, pipe, joint to, you know, edibles. And the heart starts like, oh, my God, you know, it's so tight in the chest. Like, uh-oh. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, oh, wait, uh -oh. this right happens every time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Anxiety. Uh, so you got to watch that. Got to take it easy. But you can you can be uh, uh, glad to know that it'll never kill you. Yeah. I'm. To be honest, it, it's the one drug I've never worried about. Right. Like right. I worry way more about, you know, the the alcohol I drink. You know, right. than, than the weed I smoke. Um, but I do worry about the effects, meaning that if if you're not, at least for me, if I'm not completely mentally there and aware, then I can go down a rabbit hole that potentially I could do something stupid, right? And I'm not talking about right. killing myself or anything like that, just calling 911. Like, oh, I'm having a heart attack. I'm like, no, you're not. Right. You're just really high. And you you say you prefer the sativas uh, to the indicas because you're more likely to have uh, what we call a whitey, which is uh, the panic attack. And and uh, it's not really an overdose, but it's you've had too much. So I guess it right. is an overdose. Yeah. And it's usually is because of a sugar drop. Uh, so oh, really? They tell you in Amsterdam to... Drink a Coke if you're starting to feel like you're having a whitey. Huh. Well, that's actually good to know because I'm I'm mildly diabetic on top of it, so that actually makes a lot of sense. Could be why you have issues with it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but again, you know, like I I've for for years I would do, you know, like I was one of those guys that once a week I'd buy a sheet of acid. And I do, and my whole goal was to sell three quarters of it, right? <laughs> so I'd buy it, and like three days later, I'd done half of it, and then yeah. give away the other 50, you know? Right. Um, but that didn't have the same effect on me as, as cannabinoids. So cannabinoids seem to have mm -hmm. a, a radically different effect. And, and like I said, it, I'm, you know... 50 now or almost 50 um and it's taken me 40 years to to get to the point where i can actually do that stuff and and not lose my fucking mind right right well, but I, I, I can... is, is all, all about that you know you're you're uh, that's what i do in my my seed uh research is that i'm searching for different cannabinoid profiles for certain aspects now the sativa and indica i don't know that that makes a giant difference, but I know that the cannabinoid pro profiles make a big difference on how the high comes out and, and what the benefits are. Right. So let's talk a little bit about your, your research into that stuff. Um, so, and, and I realize we're, we're in kind of weird ground here. So, you know, I'm going to be a little bit careful, but um, on a personal level, you know, when you're researching this stuff, um, do do you take like chemistry into account? Like, how do you experiment with with various strains and seeds and whatnot? Uh, it's all all pers personal experience. I, I go for searching for something that would be good for pain. So I'm I'm uh, as an old guy, I've got plenty of pain. So I, I just do do the different blendings of different varieties to create different things. And it takes years to, to develop different mm -hmm. varieties. So it's, uh, it's, it's an act of love. And so I've just, I've just loved it. It's, it's been a hobby of mine for 30 plus years. So, you know, what you're saying reminds me of like, you know, like Albert Hoffman, right. When, when, you know, he was, he was doing his experiments and eventually found, you know, LSD um and he wasn't doing it for for physical pain anyway he's definitely for for mental pain though um right and you know doing all this experimentation um 
can you lower your phone just a tiny bit? Because all I can see, sure. there you go. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> all we can see was your nose. <laughs> um, all better. Um, yeah, it's 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 that 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 personal reaching for for uh, 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 something that I think brings a lot of that that interesting sort of you know um, research in in the, you know drugs and their effects and whatnot that you know, eventually have, have a greater public good, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, that was the concept of when we started uh, doing all the, the, the medical work uh, back in the old days right. to make it uh, legal for, for medical use. You know, it, it's definitely has uh, a medical value and... Uh, the drug companies just didn't want uh, that to happen at all. No, they really don't. Al although now they're, they're slowly kind of coming around, you know, like I, I've seen right. a couple of um, indicators that that company like, you know, companies like Bear or whatnot are kind of leaning towards, you know, like cap I always say the word wrong. Yeah. I always say cabinoids, but it's Cannabinoids. cannabinoids yeah sorry right um you know and, and especially with like cbd and whatnot so again it's a lot right. of people are are you know getting excited about that um but it would require the drug companies to lose a lot of fucking money uh yeah well they're starting to realize they're losing money anyway because it's good medicine so right. they're, they're starting to get into the research you know it took took it for it to become legalized before they decided they would get into it. They should have been into it 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't. The thing is, I'm sure they were. They just... Uh, could very well be, yeah. Yeah, they had done the research. They would realized that they were in trouble, you know, and, <laughs> and started moving towards, you know, like, well, the opioids. I mean, that's when they really... Synthetic opioids, right? Um Right. That's when they really started to take off, you know. Yeah, easier um, to control the addiction. Yeah, and you know, let's be honest. I mean, some of these opioids are—they're fantastic, which which is what's terrifying about them. Right. You know, like yeah. popping an oxy. You're like, okay, I feel yeah. really fucking good for like eight hours. Right. When I was in the hospital, the fentanyl was uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh you don't want that to get into the hands of regular people. No, you don't. And and you know right now I I don't know what what Colorado is doing right now, but um you know, Washington state we're we're actually working on an a statewide basically uh personal use thing for for basically any drug. Right? right? Um, and Seattle has been that way for a while. Seattle, you know, basically three grams of anything is basically, eh, you know, slap on the wrist, you know, like right. you don't get arrested for As it. it. Should be. Yeah. Um, in fact, I like to joke with my friends, like Seattle's the only city in the, in the world where, you know, an eight ball is three grams because that's yeah. the legal yeah. amount. Right. So nobody's going to sell you yeah. a, a full eight ball. It's always just three grams. Um, it's been a long time. Well, that's good, and it should be, because you know the reason that, that I started bringing that up is is the whole fentanyl thing, right? And there, there's people are using fentanyl to enhance drugs that have no business having fentanyl in them, you know, like right. and cocaine. It's very strong. It's very easy to die from. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. You know, and, and people are, are putting, you know, fentanyl in, in, you know, cocaine. They're putting it in, you know. In other words, you know, drugs that, that people who do it would have zero tolerance for fentanyl, right? So they right. have no opioid tolerance at all. Um, right. And it's and scary shit. Cocaine, people who are on a cocaine bender will do a lot. So uh, that can be very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. put that in cocaine. 
Exactly. And, and it only takes, you know, a few grains here and there of fentanyl. So, you know, it's like, um, and actually I've, I've seen a few people die in the last couple of years about, you know, with that, um, yeah. because they'll do like a, you know, an eight ball or whatever over a weekend. So, you know, a fair amount, but, but nothing, you know, too fucking crazy. Right. Um, but there happens to be, you know, five or six grains of fentanyl, you know, spread out through that, that eight ball and it like adds up and yeah, they OD. Right. You know, and that's terrifying. Um, the, this kind of brings me back to, to like the, the legal weed thing. Um, and you can feel free to, to ignore this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, if, if weed is legal and at least in, in, you know, Washington, California, um, Colorado, basically the West coast guys, right. Um, we've done a pretty good job of, of making sure that, you know, it's controlled actually maybe too much, you know, from yeah. farm to, to consumer. Right. Um, do you think that that some same sort of infrastructure could work for, you know, fuck who knows, you know, cocaine, could it work for heroin? Could it work for, Well, the thing, the thing about it is that uh, people who do hard drugs are going to do the hard drugs, and they know where to mm -hmm. get them. So I, I don't think that if it was legal, whether that would be less. I think it would be better to have a controlled uh, chain from for the drugs so that people would be more likely to get help and more likely to have cleaner drugs to do so they're not going to have as many ODs because the, the, it'll be a controlled circumstance. Mm -hmm. uh, people are going to do what they want. Drugs should be legal. Okay. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think that's a valid point. Yeah. I know um, lots of people aren't into that concept, but realistically, if we want to help the people that are drug addicts, keeping them in jail isn't the way to do it. No, definitely not. It, I mean, there's a very easy reason behind that, right? So right. if you're in jail, so you have a, you know, a, a serious, you know, heroin habit, whatever you go into jail, they throw you in for 15 days, 30 days, whatever. So you essentially detox, you go out and what is the first thing you do? You do that shot. That's, you know, what you used to do and probably a little bit higher than what you used to do because you want to get super fucked up right. and it kills you. Right. You know, cause I your tolerance is gone. All the time. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not like a cheerleader for legalization per se, but I am a cheerleader for, um, you know, understanding why things are the way they are. Right. And, and why people are dying and people are dying because, well, lots of reasons, but one of them is they're locked up without their drugs. They get out, they're going to do their fucking drugs. Right. And like with a vengeance, right? Uh, definitely. Yeah. I so. know plenty of heroin addicts and they are, are definitely into it though. It, if depends on what system you're in, there are drugs in prison. Well, sure. So if it depends on who you are and how connected you are, whether you can keep your, your high going throughout the whole time you're incarcerated. Yeah, but I mean, that brings up a, a whole other... A right? whole other, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, where, where are those drugs coming from, right? I mean, like, it's even more terrifying. Uh, it's an uh, ugly, ugly penal system that is all about money. And uh, from the people I know that were incarcerated, you can buy anything you want as long as you know where to get it and where. And they know how to get it in, and they buy the guards, they buy everything. It's it's not that hard. It's way right. worse than you would ever imagine. Right. Um, I did have a a friend who was in prison in Thailand for drugs, 
And his whole thing was, okay, they potentially want to put me away from life, right? And I'm finding more drugs in the prison here in, you know, Bangkwang than I was, you know, anywhere in Bangkok, right? <laughs> right? So uh, he got really lucky, um, you know, basically a slap on the wrist, you know, I think he spent like three months. Um, but, you know, in his words, the amount of drugs in there was, you know, a, a hundred times what he would find in right. the streets of Thailand. Yep. It's, oh, it's an ugly world. It's an ugly world. It is. So this is a great segue, Michael. Let's talk about your new band because that is, that is not an ugly, ugly outcome of the world. Oh yeah. Old guy, old guys still rock. Well, fuck yeah. I mean, yeah. of course I'm the only old guy in the band. The other guys are, are youngsters. But see, that actually sometimes works even better. Right, because oh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, you can give them the direction, right, whether implicitly or explicitly. Right. And you know, wh one of the best shows I've probably ever seen um, was the Psychedelic Furs about four, five years ago, I guess. And the Butler Brothers had fired everyone and brought in like three super young, like early twenties guys right to to back them right it was fucking incredible right because they were still rocking it and these young kids brought in this energy that you know it was it was different right like it, it shook the whole thing up oh it's it's fun i love playing with the the young guys uh you know they're they're but they're uh, the music that I played in the past, they, they both know of my music from the past. And they're, mm -hmm. they're like, fuck, this is awesome. We love playing this. That's great. It's it's really fun. And, uh, you know, our record, it it turned out pretty damn good, I think. And Jamie Hillier at uh, Module Overload uh, Studios is a, a great producer and a great uh, knob spinner. Uh, mm -hmm. I enjoyed him more than I liked working with Jack and Dino. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a tall order. Although, you know, it's funny when I named this, this podcast, you know, curmudgeon chat <laughs> and Dino was kind of in the back of my mind. Right. right. Like, I mean, he's, <laughs> he was always a curmudgeon even back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And now it's, it's 30 some years later and he's, you know, um, I actually got to work with him um, about four years ago, um, cause I was doing some work with a band. I'm not going to mention just cause I always get in trouble when I do, but I was doing some work with them and he liked it so much when he was recording it, he joined the band. So oh, he awesome. then became a member of the band. Um, and they did some awesome work, like incredible work, whatever. Oh yeah. Um, Jack Jack's uh, he's he's great. He did he did great work. I'm not dogging him by any means. Oh no no, I, I didn't think you were. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think you were at all. Um but you know the story I like to tell is like walking into um his studio and you know been in a lot of studios. Generally there's a lot of bullshit that happens, you know, be, behind the board. Right. Like, you know, people talking and like, you know, being animated, whatever. Um, in Jack's place, I basically just sat and just watched him. Right. I yeah. didn't say shit, you know, like, oh, what about just watch him, watch him work, watch him work, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's funny because it's like, what's a mouse, you know, but yet he's like, you know, he's. You know, he's he's doing his his pro tools like, you know, like by rote, right? Like, you know, he knows the shit inside and out. Right. But you probably wouldn't say, you know, like, hey dude, here's a cell phone join his Zoom meeting. Right. Like I mean he, he would yeah. he would probably never figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a master Hansick, on that. Chris Hansick was who was his apart his partner at um Triangle Studios back in the day, mm -hmm. uh, he's he's really joined the uh, the modern age. He, we went and worked 
on the reissue of the Blood Circus stuff. Uh, and he's he's got it down. He's got a big, gigantic three-computer system that yeah. he just goes crazy with. <laughs> yeah. Chris actually was my, my uh, third interview. Oh, yeah. He's a great guy. I love him. No, he's a sweetheart. And he's still like keeping all that shit alive, man. Like he's probably the cheapest master studio anywhere. You know, like really good at it. Yeah, phenomenally good. Right. And we we talked a little bit about his mastering process, and it's like sometimes, yeah, I just listen one time. Like I'm I'm literally doing my masters as I go because. His ear is trained that way, right? Yeah. And that, that's not common, but, you know, he, he's able to do it enough that sometimes he can actually master an album in almost real time. Right, which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he he uh, he came over to Vashon to record my band on Vashon, uh, and he, he was amazing the way he was able to do the work right there in our practice space and and he had all the microphones and he had his computer and what he was able to take from those recordings and then do in his studio at home up in I think it's Woodenville. I think he's where he's at. Monroe. Yeah, Monroe. That's where it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even worse. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um so, speaking of that Blood Circus album, are, are you guys planning on doing anything more, or is that is that basically it? Like, is there anything else in the can? Uh, I don't, I don't know. To be to be honest, uh, there may be some more stuff in the can, but I think I think that's probably going to be it, unless we do some more recording, and uh, we might do that. But I, I don't know. I'm pretty pretty into the Vashon Seed, and I'm enjoying this. We're mm-hmm. we're already working on our second record, and uh, I think I'm going to continue with this. This is this is where I'm at now. No, I I got that. I got that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing like hidden in the vault, like you know, unreleased recording somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you uh-huh. know the the hype, the live recording of hype on the hype album or the, mm-hmm. the movie, there's a full recording of live material there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we could ever get a hold of that or not. Well, I bet you can. Yeah. I bet you can. Um, Who is Adam Pope? Adam Pope. He did um, the, the cover art for the album, I, I, I believe. The, 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 and I actually have a copy of it, but I've never listened to it because I don't have a CD player. So uh, I actually bought the, it. The Deadbeats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's Adam Casto. Okay, and I'm sorry. Also, yeah, yeah, sorry. And he also does the work for the Vashon Seed, too. Oh, perfect. Uh, he, I, I love his artwork. He's done artwork for my tattoo, too. <laughs> oh, that, that that would be incredible. And he's oh, he, like in, he's, he's he's like in, in he's Cincinnati, in, right? Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland, yeah. Cleveland. Huh. Yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, been a Facebook friend of Jeff's and then I became friends with him and he actually introduced uh, me to Russell, the bass player that's in the Vashon seat. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, I mean, I was hoping you were going to say there, there's, you know, some, you know, unreleased blood circus stuff that's coming <laughs> out, but <laughs> uh, there could be, I don't know. Jeff is in charge of that stuff. He's in charge of the archives. Well, I mean, that's fine. Um, but for the time being, you know, fashion seed is, is pretty fucking incredible. And I'll make sure to, uh, you know, to link that so that people can actually find it. Oh, excellent. excellent. Yeah. Um, do, do you, I only have a couple more questions cause you know, for, for, for those who are, are watching or listening, um, I completely fucking forgot this, this interview was happening. So. <laughs> this is kind of like a seat of the pants sort of thing here. That's um, okay. We can hammer. Yeah, I mean, fuck, it doesn't matter. Um, 
that's basically how life gets when you get older, right? Like everything is like, oh, okay, just do it. Yeah, uh, sure, man. So I forgot what I was going to say. Something about Bastion Seed. Um, anyway, great band. Um, and def yeah, definitely worth a listen. Um, and, you know, again, to, to those who, who don't know, if you haven't heard Blood Circus, got to listen to some Blood Circus, right? Because it was, um, Michael, the, the way I've always described it to, to other people is it was kind of like um, when, when you listen to, to some of the other bands from, from that time period, you know, uh, 86, 87, 88, somewhere in there. Right. Um, there was a heaviness, but it always seemed a little bit forced, right? Yeah. And like you guys, I remember like the first picture I saw you guys, and I think it was it was it was either the rocket, yeah, probably the rocket. Um, and you were outside of some little bar in in Georgetown, right? Um, some little tavern, whatever. And it was like you know. And I remember thinking, like, who the fuck are these guys? Like, that's so weird. Like, you know, who the fuck goes to Georgetown? You know, and like, this is your like your home little bar, right? Oh, we loved it. It was a great place to to grow up. <laughs> the band it that is. Yeah. It. I mean, in, Georgetown hasn't changed that much, actually. I mean, it, it's changed, but. Certainly not the same as other areas of Seattle, right? right. Um, and you still have these little weird, you know, restaurants and bars that they kind of exist in a bubble there. Um, but what I was really going to get at is you guys were tough. Like you looked fucking tough, right? You didn't <laughs> look like you weren't posing for for a picture you guys were basically like hey we're out here to have our yeah. drinks or i'm sorry right. we're out here we have to get back in the bar to have our fucking drinks so just leave us alone right let's get these pictures over with yeah yeah <laughs> you're not far from it we did it for fun we we enjoyed it a lot and uh we were a little more rough and tumble i mean uh Jeff was in the Navy for a long time, and I, I'm kind of a old hockey player, you know. So we we were we were we were fun guys. <laughs> so, when when you were doing all that stuff, <laughs> sorry, um, there was a a uh, um. So Seattle is weird to me. There there was a aura of violence that kind of hung over things but to be honest the majority of people have been you know pussies right i mean right. For, for the most part um <laughs> and you guys actually seemed like if you were in a brawl it would be like no we're, we're gonna fight until we either win or die right <laughs> you mean when we were actually in brawls <laughs> right well okay <laughs> yeah which i'm sure happened you know, um, it's, 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 oh my God, I'm going to get this wrong, but there, there's the case of, of somebody chasing, uh, and this is not Seattle, it, it's in, in Hollywood, but some bad chasing Motley Crue down the street, like trying to beat the shit out of them. Right. And Motley Crue is like, we're going to stand up, we're going to fight, you know, and well, I mean, good for them, but they got their you know, there were fucking asses handed to them, right? Because so, it was like, you know, a band that really knew how to fight, you know, taking them down. Um, and I have a feeling you guys would have uh, pretty much pummeled most, if not all, of the bands during that period. Well, I've got stories to tell. <laughs> well, that's what this is all about. Right. Well, let's see. I could think. I can think of one real quick, because uh, I've got to get back to work here pretty soon. Hey, no problem, man. I'll, I'll give you a quick one. We were in uh, Montreal, and uh, a bunch of skinheads were were uh, hassling this lady. Her name ended up being Emmanuel, and uh, we ended up uh, 
giving them a few whacks and running them down the street and uh, taking that lady out for some beers. Nice. <laughs> That's nice. So you got like two more minutes? Sure. Literally two. Um. So they did let you out on tour. So Sub Pop, yes, despite being the worst selling band on Sub Pop, apocryphal, they did let you out on tour. Yeah. And numerous times. Well, that's good. That's good. You guys, you went overseas at some point? No, we never made it back. Uh, we were going to go with Nirvana when we got back from our big national tour. And the band just kind of collapsed at the, uh, in the last week of the tour. So we couldn't we couldn't go, but mm. uh, we we were gonna go with Nirvana to to that probably would have been good because I probably would have killed Kurt. <laughs> Him and I didn't get along at all. Well, I I could see that. I mean, yeah. for for many reasons, I can see why. Um, I think more is one of them is that you're very uh, um, real, and I think I think. Kurt, who I didn't know, so it, I'm I'm kind of talking out my ass, but um, was not necessarily right. No. So uh, yeah. yeah, and my theory, Michael, and this is a great way to end it here. All right, so <laughs> my theory is that the reason that Sub Pop is, and again, quote, the worst selling band on on Sub Pop, is that it was too authentic. And it scared the fuck out of people. <laughs> could be. Could That's be. my theory. <laughs> um, with that, brother, um, yeah. let's wrap this up. Um, and I actually would love to have you back on and talk about some other stories at some point. Oh, anytime you want. That would be fine with me. All right, man. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. And enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you for your support. Hey, thank you, man. Bye.